Um, today we're doing something a little bit different. We have some exciting things going on in our missions department, um, in our church, and I, I kind of gave you a, a highlight of it, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, a month and a half ago, but we are going to have this morning um, Greg Holbrook, who is, he and his wife Kim are here this morning, and uh, Greg's going to share a little bit about a ministry called Miracle Power. I was, had the fortunate, um, I had the ability to go over to Africa a couple years ago, um, November, two years ago, and uh, visit Miracle Power. It's an incredible place. Uh, the children, it's an orphanage. It's also um, for widows and orphans. He's going to explain all of, all, how the Lord brought that up and, and on his own. And then, um, and then we're going to, later in the service, we're going to pray over a missionary. Uh, Marty is heading out to Miracle Power to work on the ground floor there. We'll kind of explain the vision there of what, what God's doing. And so we're going to pray over his family today because he's leaving on Wednesday or Thursday? Friday? <laughs> Can I? It's Saturday morning. So we want to pray over him, and he's going to be gone. Um, th this is not a short-term mission trip. This is something that is long-term, and it's something that's being established through our church. Marty is a missionary of Calvary Chapel. And so this is the, our very first missionary we're sending out in this way. So... The, the hopefully we'll, yeah, so excited. And, and uh, on the 15th, uh, Dr. Sam also is heading on a short-term missions trip, and so we'll be praying over him on the 15th. But lots of mission stuff going on. So, hey, will you join me in welcoming Greg Holbrook to the stage here? Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Um, as he said, Greg Holbrook and me and my wife, Kim, live over in Lebanon, Tennessee, just about 40 miles east of Nashville. Uh, we've got three boys at uh, 23, 22, and 18, and we're grandparents of one now, and uh, that's a big blessing. That's the reward you get for not killing your own kids, so just a little, <laughs> that's what my mama told me when my first one was born, so it's a little encouragement, but uh, I've carpenter built homes for a living and just enjoy working with my hands and building and doing stuff and using the gifts God give me to to love on people and help them and I want to say a prayer here and then we'll get started good morning daddy I love you and I just thank you so much for that song that we sang and how much you love us it's just something if we'll just take time to sit and ponder and think on it'll just wreck our minds and wreck our hearts and I thank you for just your reckless abandoned love for all of us and Lord just as I share what you've done in my life and how you've used me to, to reach people and love on them I just ask that you open up everybody's hearts and minds to the Holy Spirit and hear your words through this Amen so I'm going to start out with part of my testimony and I've got some slides up here hopefully it works my Wife is the computer person. I do good to call somebody on the phone, but uh, <laughs> when I, uh, in 2002, uh, a couple in my church had went to Honduras and been on a mission trip. They were an older couple, and they went and cooked and served for everybody on the mission team. And they came back, and they were speaking. It's like October of 2002, and they were speaking and sharing with the congregation and slides. And I was sitting over there about where you are in that third row back, and God said tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're supposed to go there. And I was like, okay. So when people get done speaking that night, I get up and go ask them. I said, hey, who do I need to talk to about going on one of these trips? And they wrote the guy's name and phone number down. And I left and got home that night and called him. 
I said, hey, I said, I want to go with you next time you go on a trip to Honduras. And he said, well, we're not going to next summer. He said, but this is what you need to do to get ready. I said, well, put me down. I'm going. So next, it was the middle of June sometime, 2003. Uh, go to Nashville, get on the airport, airplane. We fly from Nashville to Miami. We're flying from Miami to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And I pulled the map out of the back of the airplane seat to see where Honduras is. I mean, that's, that's literally, I, I never, I, it never crossed my mind. I mean, I never, he just told me to go and I was going. So I, I'm literally, I'm looking, okay, I know I'm going in Central America somewhere down here and I found out, I was like, okay. So we get there and land and that was, y'all go to the next slide there. That's what we were doing. They already had the block walls up and we built those metal trusses and put those up and then put the metal on the roof and Dude, it was hot. Man, it was rough. <laughs> but we'd get up and get started real early in the morning right at daylight. And we'd be working every morning for a few hours. And you'd see all the kids walking by through that village going to school. And so about two hours after all the kids would go by going to school, another little boy would walk by. And he'd have a clipboard in his hand with a bunch of papers on it. And I asked one of the local guys there. I said, man, I said, why is that kid not in school? They said, well, his daddy's an alcoholic and makes him walk around selling lottery ticket numbers to get money so he got for alcohol and I was like I wanted to get down right then and go find this guy and give him a hook around the neck real tight <laughs> and <laughs> but he we keep working the days go by and the last day we're up there working it was that day that that other picture was made that I looked down and that little boy with the clipboard sitting underneath the tree over there was one of the pastors and he's witnessing to him. And a minute, couple minutes later, the missionary we were working with there, he hollered up. He said, hey, he said, that little boy just got saved. And, hey, I just had a meltdown. I'm up there trying to run screws in the middle and tears is running down. So I, I get down and go get in the corner of the church, and I literally wept. It was the first time in my life I had ever just been that broken and hurt and just wept. And I was like, come on, Greg, get it back together. You got you to gotta get get back up there and get to work and God told me at that moment he said Greg he said these people don't need a building they need a savior because in my little mind I had I'm gonna go down there put a roof on this church come back home and everything's gonna be good and God said yeah just try that but so we get get back up we get the roof finished that day and I go back to we stay in a little schoolhouse there in that community and go back and I'm just sitting go back in my room I'm sitting there just thinking about what I'd seen that day and I just lost it again I mean just tears literally on the floor just in a puddle and I prayed to God right then I said God if you want me to go 10 miles or 10,000 it doesn't matter you just show me where you want me to go and what you want me to do and I'll do it and probably for the next from 2003 to probably 2007 or 8 I was going to Honduras two or three times a year if I could find somebody, another group from another state that was going down there to work with that organization there, I was, don't try to count me in, I'll go help do whatever. And we built probably 12 or 15 of those little churches and then worked on a big mission house there for teams to stay in. I mean, it just, it didn't matter. Well, in, in the mix of all this going on, my mom says to me one day, she says, you need to pray about going somewhere else. There's people all over the world need help. And I was like, no, God's told me to go here. I'm going here. So she said, well, I'm going to be praying he shows you somewhere else. So <laughs> so fast forward a few months, and I get a phone call one day. I said, hey, Greg, 
I've been going over to Africa, taking medical teams and planting churches, and these people need somewhere to worship. I need you to go over and build churches. And jokingly, I asked the guy, I said, how far is it? He said, well, it's about 8,000 miles. I said, okay, I'm good, which I'd have went, I'd have went anyways. But so I called my mom a few days later. I said, mama, I got somewhere else to go. She said, good, where? And I said, well, I'm going to Kenya, Africa. She said, no, it's too far. You can't go there. <laughs> I was like, no, I, I got to. And so that 2006 was my first trip to, to Kenya. And we got over there, and as poor as I thought that Honduras was, the difference between here to Honduras, Africa was even another step ways down below that. I mean, it's just survival, the way they live. I mean, it, they get up every day, go try to find some kind of, most of it's just day work that the people do, get paid every day, walk back home and stop by some kind of little, looks like a little open-air flea market and buy them some rice and beans, go home and cook it, and get them to do it again the next day. I mean, it's just, it's literally survival. And so we start going over there and building those little churches and going to the next slide. And this is, I mean, it's a pole barn. Most of y'all wouldn't even want them on your property. But to them, it's a million-dollar sanctuary. It cost about $1,800 to build one of them. And, I mean, if they saved up for 20 years, they, couldn't, they wouldn't have enough to build one of them. I mean, we can go in there and do this in a day. And they just stand there and shake their heads and think it's crazy that a bunch of white people from America come over there and build them a church. And But I enjoy working with the local Kenyan carpenters just as much as I do anything, getting to know them and spending time with them. But we built about, I don't know, 150, between 150 and 160 on all the different trips I've been on over there are those. And then... Once I got Miracle Power up and going, was having to go there more. We just we've had some other carpenters from the U.S. go over, and then the local Kenyan guys have built them, and there's over I don't know, a little over 500 of them now. It's been built since uh, 2006. But that's just it. Don't matter what your gift is and what God's showed you to do, and he he has something he can use. Because for a long time in my life, I was like, how are you going to use a carpenter to help people? And he showed me, and it's just, and it's not about building a church, like I said earlier. It's just showing that God loves them, and He hears their prayers, and and just a way to go show you care about people. But I, I would start started going to Kenya once or twice a year there, for a few years, and just every little village that we went to, you'd see groups of widows kind of band together to take care of each other. And that because one day one of them would be doing something and have some food and she'd share it with the group and the next day the next one would and then while these widows were trying to take care of each other they were trying to take care of the orphans also. And it was just like God said that's who I want you to help. And I was all right. So I started asking the different groups what can you do? What were you doing before your husband died? Before you got in shape? And a lot of them were seamstress, seamstress and could sew. A lot of them could make baskets or ropes or had different little businesses and so we would find out what they could do and buy their whatever raw materials or tools that they needed to get them some kind of income to have a job where they could take care of themselves and and help the group because those ladies will work together like you wouldn't believe to to better each other and then i don't know we probably did that in eight or ten different little villages over the years and then i was there in the end of 2010 and we've been praying this whole time, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Just 
and he kept showing me little things one at a time. And I woke up over there in the middle of the night on one of the trips and had just this flood of stuff going on in my head. So I got up and started writing it all down. And it was buy some land, build an orphanage, dig a well, build a mission house, build a medical clinic, buy a tractor, buy trucks. Uh, I mean, a, a garden, start businesses for people to come work so they've got a source of income every day. And I looked at that a few minutes and just put it down and went back to sleep. And I woke up the next day and I was like, that was real. And so <laughs> just started, I mean, just severely overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And on that particular trip, it seemed like every day that we were building one of those little churches, somebody would come up and say, man, this is a miracle. And in my little American mind, I had, man, it's a pole barn. It ain't no big deal. <laughs> it, but that's, I'm just being honest with you. That's, that's the way I felt. Because to us, that's not anything. But to them, that's a, that's a miracle being answered. And we're on the trip driving from where we were to back to the airport. I was talking to some of the guys. I said, what's the definition of a miracle? I said, I know what one is, but what's the definition of it? And they said, they thought for a few minutes, and they said, oh, it's a, something God-sized that he has to do, that no matter what you do, how many resources you have, how many connections you have, you can't pull it off yourself. God has to do it. And I was like, that's when it hit me. Everybody's miracle's different. If you're sick and need healing, that's a miracle. If you don't have food to eat and somebody gives you some food, that's a miracle. If you don't have a job and you get a job, that's a miracle. I mean, everybody's miracle is different. And we want to rank them. But whatever the need is in your life that you don't have and there's no way you can get it and God provides it, that's, that's the miracle. So that's where the, the miracle part of the miracle power come from. And then the power is like an acronym. Because when I got to praying on this later, God said, the one people I want you to help are the pastors, the orphans, the widows. So that's the, the P, the O, and the W. And then the E and the R is empowering resources. And because God told me, he said, don't open up a soup kitchen and just feed people. That don't work. He said, provide for them opportunities to come, help them, help themselves. And it, it's just been, been amazing how God worked. I mean, I got back home off that trip and was sharing with my wife and a few different people and they're looking at me like oh my gosh <laughs> you've had too much malaria medicine <laughs> but you i got back had you get jet lag real bad on the trip back and you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and i'm standing there looking out the back of my house at my farm and just trucks and tractors and trailers and stuff sitting everywhere and i said god if i sell everything i own i can't do what you've shown me to do he said, Greg, if you'll just tell people, they'll help you. And I was like, okay, I think they're going to think I'm crazy, but I'll tell them. And so started sharing with people the vision he'd give me. And that was November, December of 2010. And then by, go to the next slide. Oh, I forgot. That. Let me skip one ahead and then we'll come back to that one. By May of 2010, we had bought land and had an orphanage built big enough to hold 30 kids. I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, and I mean, I was just, I was blown away by just how quick that, that happened, because some days I'm like, God, ain't nothing happening, what, what's going on, and then some days you're like, okay, you got to slow down, this is too fast, I mean, it's just, it's just the way he works in my life anyway, but that's the children's home there, and it's, 
the room where the window is, there's a kitchen, and then down the middle of the building, the kitchen's about 16, 18 foot long, and then we got like a 40 foot big meat and eating area, and then down each, each side is little apartments where the kids stay, and we got bunk beds in there, and they can sleep. The big kids sleep four to a room, and the little kids pile three or four to a bed. I mean, it's just, but that's what they're used to. I mean, a normal size house over there is like 12 by 12 little mud hut, and a family of eight or ten will sleep in there. I mean, so that's, I mean, that's what they're accustomed to. But go back to that, uh, what that verse was. When, when I got home and was praying and going over all this, I said, God, I said, I need you to give me a verse. What? what you've shown me to do here, the plan, and what you want to do, and this is a verse he gave me, is James one twenty seven. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their time of need and keep oneself from becoming polluted by the world. And it just, I was like, okay, there it is. Because I don't want to do anything in my life that's contrary to his word. I want to, that's, that's my instructions in my guidebook. But, all right, let's go, go on to another slide. And we take for granted so much in this country clean water. I mean, it, it's just it's amazing. We were on a trip in far eastern Kenya working, and I saw this water trailer, and these people had been in a drought for eight years. I mean, you go work every day and come back, and the, you see that orange dirt, where the wind would blow and you was hot and sweaty and it just, you, I mean, you'd literally be orange and get in a shower and wash it off and then you just see it running down the drain. But it just broke my heart how the need for clean drinking water over there because I've seen them go dip water out of a mud puddle and take and boil it and drink it and it looks like chocolate milk. I mean, it's just, but I mean, the choices are drink hot, dirty water and live or and be sick or don't drink anything and die. I mean, they don't, they don't have a choice. And it, but clean, clean di drinking water over there is humongous. But let's go to the next slide. That's uh, 2000, I guess it was 13. We got to finally raise the money to get a well dug. And it's very expensive over there to get a, a deep water well. Because you can dig a hand dug shallow well. They'll dig those down 50 or 60 feet. But it's not far enough down to get the good clean water and it'll still make them sick. So... We had had some people donated the money to be able to dig a well and got it dug. And you can see the people standing in line there coming to get water every day. And that was, they're used to having to go to town or where there's another well and they'll pay like a penny a gallon for water. And so we, God gave me, told me, hey, just start, open up a thing. If people can come and they've got a little bit of money to buy some water, they can come here, and the people in that area call it sweet water, what we have, because the next closest well is sulfur water. And with ours, I mean, you can draw it out and put it in a clear glass, and it looks just like our water here, and it tastes good. Yeah, and, uh, but it, it's just amazing, the ministry, people coming every day, getting water, and just able to love on them and talk to them and, and help them through that. That's a... Uh, we started out, we built that tower and put just one tank on it. And then as the need kept growing, more people coming. And we started having a bigger farm and growing it. We just added more tanks. And then we switched it over to solar because the water, over the, I mean, the electricity over there was so undependable. It might be on for a couple of days and off for a couple of days. But since then, we've put solar in the buildings and converted the well over to solar. 
go on to the next one. This is me up on the water tower taking a picture of the property, and this was a couple years ago, so I mean it's it's changed a lot since then. But these are chicken coops down down this size here, where we raise uh, chickens for eggs and then for meat also. And that's a little garage storage building, and then that's the back side of the children's home. It's got a little porch on the outside there where we can come be out of the sun. The kids can sit and play and do their homework. It's a little cooler. And then the other building over here is a medical clinic uh, in the back, and then some stores and little shops in the front because there's the, the gravel road right there. And then the other little building's a building where we'd sell water out of and had a carpenter shop and had a it charged batteries for people and charged their cell phones because it's, it's crazy people over there live in a mud hut, walk everywhere they go, but they got a cell phone. <laughs> and But they don't have no way to charge them. So I mean, they had to walk to town and pay somebody to charge their phones or they'll have a car battery and a car headlight hanging up in their little mud hut for lights at nighttime. So they'll bring you batteries and pay you a little bit to charge it. So, I mean, it's just, and two, that's a source of income for somebody. And a little, little income for the home to us be able to help more people. All right. And then uh, 2015, uh, I had a guy come up to me, and he said, hey, he said, uh, I, I want to help Miracle Power. He said, what do you got? What do you, what's y'all's next thing to do? And I always just, what the list God gave me in 2010, I just go down the list until, okay, here's the next few things on the list. And this guy said, okay, sounds good. And sometimes people come up and do that, and they give you a little bit of money, and sometimes you don't ever hear from them again. So this guy, a few weeks later, he said, hey, I got you some money for Miracle Power. He handed me a check, and I just stuck it in my pocket and went on. And I get home that night, and I pulled the check out and give it to Kim and said, put this in the checking account. And she opened it up, and she said, did you look at that? And I said, no. And she turned around and said, $20,000 check. And it's like, I mean, just meltdown. <laughs> it's like, what do you say? I mean, what do you say to somebody when they're, when they're doing the miracles? I mean, all you can say is the same thing we say, God, thank you. I mean, that's it. And so that Sunday, I get up, at I asked my pastor at church, I said, man, can I share, this is John Hunt, the one you went with on trust. I said, can I share the miracle God did in my life this week? Well, I share this with, with my church. Two weeks later, we got 50 more thousand dollars. So I had enough to buy the tractor and every implement we needed within about two weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And it's just, and at the time when all this was going on, I was reading some different books about praying big prayers. Because, I mean, a lot of us are guilty. Whatever size your God is, is the size of prayers you pray. So I started praying bigger prayers, and he started answering. And I was like, well, I should have been done this a long time ago. <laughs> but in this, this is the mission house that we built over there. The, the right side of it, we have it set up for a home, like for a family to live in, and it's got three bedrooms and two bathrooms and a couple closets to keep stuff in. And then the center section is a big meeting room den, and the kitchen's in the back. And then the other side, we have set up for like two dorm rooms in the front and the back, and then the like men's and women's bathrooms is separate in the middle. So men stay in the front, women in the back, and we can take teams over there, and they have somewhere to stay, and we don't have to try to pay for lodging for him somewhere but this was another one of those god-sized prayers that he answered we started praying for a mission house and had a had a guy come up to me i was at the wilson county fair 
Hadn't seen him in a little while. He comes up. He said, man, you still going to Kenya? I said, yeah. He, I told him about what all is going on. He said, well, what are y'all getting ready to do? I said, well, we need to build a mission house. And he said, man, I'm getting ready to sell a piece of property. He said, I'll, I'll give you some money. So a few weeks later, seen him again. Same thing. Here's a check. And I just don't ever look at him. Just, I think it's rude. Then I just stick it in my pocket and I get home at night. And same thing. Oh, $40,000. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's just God, how he answers and takes care of stuff. But uh, that mission house is, uh, we've had some different missionaries from the States go over there and stay. Uh, another guy from the Netherlands that he's talked to, Marty's talked to a few times, has stayed there some and just help us oversee everything and love on the people. And then let's see, that's a fish pond that we put in this past year uh, so they can raise their own tilapia and catfish. We've got two ponds actually now. So, I mean, trying to, we raise our own fish and then we're able to help some of the people in the community and sell some also to try to get it where it's more self-sustaining. Go on to the next one. That's just, a, that's a more recent view of the, how when it's rainy season over there and you're getting rain, dude, it's like going to an oasis out in the middle of this, this country. But that's the mission house back there, and just that's kale they're raising over there. And I can't tell, I think it's corn on the other side. But we've got seven acres of land there that we bought and used about two and a half of it for the children's home and the mission house and that. And then we got about four and a half acres of garden and the fish ponds. Oh. Uh, I want to share this story with this little boy. And by the way, that's the same kid just a few months apart. That's how much the police called. This lady here, her name was Rosemary. She was our director there for a little while. And police called her one day and said, we found this kid abandoned in town and we need somewhere to take him. So she she took him in and taking care of him. Well, she calls me and said, hey, we got a new little boy here. We don't know his name, don't know nothing about him. Is it okay if we keep him? I said, well, yeah, it's okay. And so she told me, that, that, like I said, the police brought him and didn't know anything about him and found him. And uh, so I'm in the truck with my son when me and her is talking, my youngest son, and we're riding down the road, and I start telling him about it. And he says, Daddy, he said, you know the story in the Bible about the little boy they found in the basket floating down the river? I said, yeah, Moses. He said, that's what we need to name him. And I was like, okay. I said, if, I don't, if they don't find out nothing in the next few days, and call me and let me know what's going on with him. I said, next time I talk to her, that's what I'll tell him we're going to name him. So a few days go by, and we don't hear anything. And I call Rosemary, and we're talking. I said, don't you call him Moses. And so, I mean, that's that's been his name. That's what we call him, is Moses. But that was that's what he looked like. He was four years old in that picture and was the size of a two-year-old just because he was so malnutrition, and he's got cerebral palsy. So, I mean, he couldn't talk. He keeps still wearing diapers, couldn't couldn't feed itself, couldn't walk, nothing. And that, that was him about a month later. Just how much some love and getting him healthy changed him. But that little joker now is up running wide open in school, talking. I mean, just we've, yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> That's another miracle. Let's, let's go to the next slide. These are, uh, Samuel and Salim, these two little boys, same thing. We get a call. Hey, we got these two little boys. They were living with their grandfather because the rest of their family was dead, and he passed away, and the neighbors called and said they've been 
just wandering around trying looking for food for the last two weeks, and they need somebody to take care of them. And you talking about two little jokers that was mean when we first got them. But, hey, they were surviving. They didn't have no choice. I mean, they were doing what they had to do to stay alive. And they were, what, five and six when, when we got them. And but we got them in and loved on them. And those jokers, was they, uh, what's the little things they get in their feet? Oh, jiggers. They, get, they came to us and their feet was all, just, they didn't have no shoes. I mean, this is all they had was what clothes they had on right there. But they get these little bugs in their feet called jiggers, and they had to take and put bleach on them, dig them out with a needle or a little razor blade. And they was all in their feet and hands and got them cleaned up, got them healthy, and got all the parasites out of them. But they are the two biggest bundles of joy with more energy and love than you ever seen in your life now. They just, they'll be one of some of the first ones to run up to you and hug you when you get there. And I mean, Tim can say, when you get there and get out of the van, you can get swarmed. <laughs> Just them wanting to love on you, but that's what's that's what's in them now. They they go from the survival, it's all about me to sharing and, and loving on other people. Now when we get new kids, the other kids will just come and surround them and share their toys with them and share their clothes and food and say, "Hey, come here." And I mean, it, it's amazing to get to watch a, a new kid come in. But that, and that's our director Jemima. That's that, that's Samuel. Yeah, Samuel, and that's Moses now. But that's our little brown angel. She had Jemima. We we prayed for years, God. There was three or four of us that just there in Lebanon that had been involved in Miracle Power since it started. And we started for God. We need a, a director with a good heart for these kids that's able to manage it, oversee it. Because, I mean, it keeps growing and growing. And the one of the big things that we've run into with the Kenyans is they – when you don't ever have nothing and you're just living day to day, it's hard to manage anything because they're not used to having to plan ahead at all or manage stuff. And Jemima grew up in a very wealthy family over there and just felt led to follow the Lord. And and we had met her. She was working at a hotel. She went to college in hospitality, got a degree in hospitality and was running a hotel is how we met her. And we started praying, God, we need a, need a director. And... All three of us, we met one day for lunch and said, we need to call Jemima. And it, it, we just all looked at each other like, wow. <laughs> but it's the same Holy Spirit working in all of us. But we contacted her, and she said she'd pray about it. And a few weeks later, she said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come come work for y'all. And that's been a little over four years now. She's been there taking care of everything. And it's just amazing how much she gets done. Uh, and this picture it's some of the farm workers some of the widows that work there some of the children and it's just I mean uh, this is my family I, I joke around people every once in a while I meet somebody new and they say how many kids you got and I say well I got three here and 30 in Kenya and they look at me like do what <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I get to share the story with them but it's I mean those I look at them like they're my kids I mean and you go over there that's what they call me they call me daddy and it's just it's it's amazing. We'll just go to and this I just wanted to share this we this is what love looks like. It uh we here in America we love our dogs, we love pizza, we love our cars, we love everything, but in the Bible you don't ever hear God talk about anything but loving people. That's it. And we have we have messed that way up. But 
just looking at these kids and how much love they have in their hearts and how they love on strangers when they come in, it's amazing. And I want to share with y'all the the best definition of love I've ever heard in my life. And it's wanting what's best for somebody else, no matter what it costs you. And you apply that to how you think about loving on people, and then you apply that to God. He wanted what was best for us, no matter what it cost him. It cost him his son. And all he wants, he, what he wants out of us is our life and our time to go love him. And, that, and he's going to give us what's best for us. Satan's going to be screaming in your ear the whole time, man, that don't make sense, don't do it. He, he's going to be boring. He might send you to Africa. <laughs> or he might send you across the street. And it, it don't make, getting on an airplane and flying somewhere don't make you a missionary. If you're not a missionary in your own home and it starts out from there, if it's not real at home, it's fake everywhere else. You've you got to be real at home for it to be for it to work when you go out and be the same. But I just want to ask y'all to just be praying for Miracle Power as an organization, be praying for each one of the kids there, all the, the ladies that come and work. One of the things that I didn't share, the widows in the community, we have them, they'll come work, they'll take a work a week and take off a week, and we pay them and feed them, help them take care of them, and they, they do that and take, they take care of the that's who we get to take care of the orphans. I mean, and it's, the ladies love it, the kids love it, and they treat them like their own kids. A lot of them are older ladies that don't have any family left, and it's just, it, it's a big blessing for everybody. We just pray for all our staff, pray for the new kids out there right now that whatever situation they're in, that God will bring them to us and just give us the resources to take care of them because some months, I mean, it's just Satan sitting there whispering in your ear, you ain't going to have enough money next month to take care of them. They're all going to go hungry. And I'm like, nope, shut up. God started this. He's going to keep it going. And he just, he keeps providing. And it's just, it's, it's amazing how God brings people together to get his work done. And it's just amazing how God brought Tim over there a few years ago. And through that, he comes back and gets to Sharon with Marty. And we met almost two years ago and had lunch one day and then talking back and forth every few months and then it got every month and now it's every week and sometimes he calls me every day now and but uh he we're answer to his prayer but he is a big answer to our prayer because one of the big things that that miracle power needs to to get more self-sufficient because i'd love to have 20 or 30 of these all over kenya is we got to get them to where they're self-sustainable, where you're not just all the time got your hand out asking for money for people. Because to me, that's not missions. I mean, you look at what Paul did in the Bible. He went somewhere, he worked, he took care of himself, and while he was there working with those people every day, he was loving on them and witnessing to them. And that's that's one reason we got the people coming, the farm workers, the ladies who come. Okay, every day we're gonna stop in the afternoon when it's real hot and have a have some some tea and have a little Bible study. And then it really don't matter if they come to church on Sunday or not because you've done witness to them six days a week and loved on them. I mean, and, and that's the way we got to look at our workplace. It's not, hey, man, you come to church with me, and that's good, but and don't shoot me for that. But <laughs> <laughs> but if you're, if you're doing, you got them eight hours a day or ten, every how long you work with them, and expect him to come talk to them one hour a day, something's not right right there. But just 
use what time you have with people to love on them and just and that's that's what we try to do just love on them and see what their needs are in life and, and help them and but uh, what I was saying Marty had been praying for years how God could use him we've been praying for years for somebody to come and help us and God has just all right here you go and he's just slowly worked it together I mean he's leaving now in less than a week and I love you brother <laughs> And just look forward to seeing you get over there and serve and see how many miracles you get to see <laughs> God do. Tell him I appreciate you letting me speak. And we're going to have him come up now. We'll pray for him. Thank y'all. Awesome. So it's interesting when I went to Kenya and... Uh, I went to Kenya with my very first pastor in Montana. He happened to <laughs> he happens to live here, and um, he moved to uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, and he was his pastor for a while. <laughs> so it's just crazy yeah. how God works, yeah. you know. And um, when I went to Kenya, and I saw what Miracle Power was doing, my pastor, my old pastor, works for Church Missions Network, which is another we support them as well. They work, in Cohen, they work with uh, Miracle Power. They send teams over there, and they stay at Miracle Power and stuff, but they're two separate entities. And so Greg's vision is different than Church Missions Network is really a church planting network that they utilize medical clinics and different things like that to draw people in. Um, they build churches. They train pastors, and then they connect the people that come in through the medical clinic with the churches. And so, and then in the meantime, they also feed kids and all kinds of stuff like that. But when I went there and saw what was going on with Miracle Power, and I came back, and the one thing that they kept saying is Miracle Power needs somebody to live there, somebody, a redneck farmer. And I thought, hmm, I know a guy like that. He's from Friesland, but, you know. So when I came back, I talked to Marty about it, and then we went and had lunch with Greg and and some Church Missions Network guys. And what was amazing to me was the connection between Greg, myself, and Marty. And our vision was exactly the same on, on how we see missions work should be done. And, it, and we felt like, you know, we, Greg's vision is to, to build these, these orphans, orphanages uh, for widows and orphans, but also use it as a means uh, to be able to set up training facilities for people to teach them some kind of a trade mm -hmm. or something that they can they can learn something so that they can sustain themselves, right? And maybe in the in the meantime, we thought maybe we could start some micro businesses over there and and help people kind of get going, almost like seed business, you know, seed money to help people get up off the ground and and do that. And when we started talking, we're like, well, our vision is exactly the same. And we just didn't have the connection over there. Greg's already set it up. And why would we reinvent the wheel? You know, we just partner with Greg, and, and we'll see what the Lord does. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So that also includes you. Because we as a church are partnering with Miracle Power, and we want to see God do amazing things. You know, one of the, one of the things that really struck me about James 1.27 is, is yes, it's awesome. We should minister to orphans and widows for sure. They're, they're helpless outside of, you know, the body of Christ coming alongside to help. And, um, and at the same token, the thing that was interesting about that verse is look at the very last, last few words. 
polluted by the world. Yeah. Polluted by the world. I, I thought it was interesting that it goes exactly with the word that Chris Thomas gave us this morning. That he said, listen, we're polluted with the world. We have idols in our lives. I tell you, in a group of people like this, we could raise a hundred grand easy if we weren't polluted by the world. And I don't say that to, to convict you. I say that as a challenge to you to ask yourself, what am I doing with the gospel? What am I doing with my resources? If we really are living for eternity, then man, we're open palm. We're palms up open yeah. saying, Lord, whatever you want to do, this is yours. Whatever you want to do with it. And so I want to encourage you right now. What you can do is begin to pray, Lord, how can I be part of this? And maybe for some of you, it's going to be to go on missions trips to Awasi, Kenya, to Miracle Power. And I know you will, brother. <laughs> and maybe some of you, it's you're going to support people to go on missions trips to Miracle Power financially. And others of you are going to support the work that's going on in Miracle Power so that we can plant more of these things. But what we can all do is pray. We can all pray, God, we want to pray over the work and we want to pray over how we can be part of it. Pray so big. Huh? Pray big. Yeah, pray big, man. Don't pray <laughs> small things. You know, so um, with that said, I want to invite Marty and his family up here um, and the elders, if you guys would come up as well. I probably try not to crash into your stuff here, Pat. We'll rearrange the stage. Just take a second here. Linda, you want to come up here with us? Come on. So, the Veerhoffs, this is the family. Put some faces with some names. This is the family that's, um, they're sending Marty over. And uh, Marty's going to be going over there for a period of time to get things settled in Awasi. And his family will be here. So, we want to be praying for them and also loving on them, man. Reaching out to them. Seeing how we as a body can come alongside them and love on them. Their kids are, are champions, dude. I've sat alongside these kids and talked to them and prayed with them, and they're giving up their dad to go to Kenya. And that's not an easy thing, folks, you know, as, as a kid. And, and these guys understand the cost to follow Christ, and so there'll be separation in their family for a period of time. But the Lord has called them to do this. And so where, where God guides, he provides. And he, yeah. he gives us what we need in the moment. Um, Tish has is, is been gracious. She's been praying, and we've been praying, and we've been meeting, and everybody's in one accord here. Um, the elders are in one accord as well, and we're just excited to see what God's going to do. But don't, don't, for, don't think for a second there won't be a spiritual warfare that comes upon this family as a result of what's happening. So I would encourage you really to be loving on these guys, to pre be praying for them diligently. Um, before we pray over you, Marty, do you want to share anything? Very quickly. That's the problem, like time. <laughs> I just want to say this, that wherever and whenever God has a mission for all of us, all of us, no matter where, like what Greg said, if it's across the street or here in Columbia, in Murray County, um, all of us, if we know the Lord Jesus, if we're being saved, 
and you know you have a call. And um, I hope that we pray for each other, that we help each other to open our hearts uh, to hear his calling. And um, for me, going through all this, I just want to say it's just very simple coming back to one thing. Let nothing, just totally nothing, no possession, no money, no career, and let no one, not your family, your own family, not your friends, not your brothers or sisters, whoever tell you that it's not. It's just one thing that counts. Is if we are being saved, then God calls us to go out in the world to make God visible with his good works and spread the gospel. Awesome. All right, will you guys, uh, will you pray with us? Father God, we thank you so much for this family here. Lord, we thank you for Marty and Tish, mm. yes. for Boyd and Holland Grace, and for Linda, Lord. Yes. We thank you for this family that is willing to sort of abandon the world's idea mm. of what success might look like and follow you. Yes. Lord, I thank you so much for just the call upon Marty's life. I thank you over the five years that we've been seeking your face on what exactly you're calling him to do, Lord, that it's come to this moment. Mm. And you knew all along, Lord. You have a willing servant that is, is willing to do whatever you ask him to do, and, and here mm. we are now. Thank you, Lord. And what an answer to the prayer he is to Miracle Power and to those people in Owasi, Kenya. Lord, we pray over this family now. We ask for your anointing. We ask for your protection. Mm. We ask for your provision, Lord. Yes. And we ask that you just bless them here. Bless Tish and the kids and, and Linda as they stay behind for a period of time, Lord, that you would just uh, keep them connected together, Lord. May their marriage, we ask for protection over their marriage and over their relationships with their children here, Lord. And we, we just, we need you to do it. This is, we need a miracle from you in this, yes, Lord. Lord. So we look to you. We ask you to anoint this family, to just be with them and, and just continue to remind them, Lord, of the anchor of the call upon mm. their lives. When they doubt or when they question, Lord, may they be drawn back to the moment when they said, when they remind themselves that they said, here am I, send me, Lord. Yes. And we ask you, Lord, to just do an amazing work through this family. Mm. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do, Lord. Pray over Greg, over Kim, Lord, mm. over Miracle Power. Yes, Lord. That your will be done, Lord. Mm. But ultimately, God, that the people of Awasi, Kenya, will one day in heaven say, Miracle Power changed my life. Mm. Yes, Lord. Please. And so we just ask you, Lord, to continue bring vision provision, Lord, mm. for all that will be necessary in order for that vision to, to come to fruition. And so we lift it to you, Lord. We thank you for this family, Lord. We love them. Mm. Yes. And we just lift them to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. I love you. Thank you so much, Greg, for sharing this morning. Thank you. Yes.
And what an encouragement, man. And uh, I look forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with, to Matthew chapter 26 with me very quickly. We're going to partake of communion here, but I just want to share a brief, just a very brief, not even, not even what I planned, but less than that because we don't have enough time. But <clears throat> I want to encourage you this morning about the impact of one meal, the impact of one meal. In Matthew chapter 26, we have Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. And I just want to read Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. And then I want to talk about that for just a second. Matthew writing says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and we had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my body of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we have your word before us. We ask you to speak into our lives right now, Lord to understand this, this thing we call communion, the Lord's Supper, maybe for some the Eucharist. Lord, we ask you to, may this not just be a routine thing that we do, but may we understand every time we partake what it represents. And so we ask you to change our lives, change our perspectives this morning relating to the Lord's Supper, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting how, how we are so connected to food. You ever notice that? We're so connected to food, not because of food itself, but because of what food represents. You know, when we want to get to know somebody, what do we do? We have a meal with them. We ask them to lunch or breakfast or, you know, whatever. There's, there's snacks involved or something. Food is always always present when we're trying to get to know somebody because food is a vehicle that God uses to connect us together. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that it's not about the food. It doesn't matter what it might be, but it's about relationship. And food connects us in that way. And, um, you know, as we come to the, the most important actual piece of furniture you have in your house is the table because it's at the table where relationships are made with your family when you break bread together when you eat a meal together you're building relationship with one another and here we are today pulling up to the lord's table we're pulling up to the table in heaven here in this body this morning and we're going to partake a meal with god and this meal it's not so much about the meal itself, but it's about what it represents. It represents reconciliation. It represents relationship. It represents intimacy and communion. When you had a meal with somebody in, in the biblical times, it was an intimate thing. 
something that you used your hands to. The same hands would break the bread. They would touch the food. You would eat with people that you wanted to be intimate with. And here we are today about to partake and be intimate with our God. And it's an amazing thing. The representation here of the bread and the cup that Jesus speaks about is something that relates to a Galilean wedding. And I don't know if you've ever understood that in the Bible. But when, when somebody was going to be married back in biblical times, there was sort of a three-stage process. They would begin with a legal contract and probably an arranged marriage. And they would, what would happen is the bridegroom, he would, they, he, he, you know, the parents would select the bride or the, the, the father of the bridegroom would select the bride and their, their parents would have a contract together or whatnot. What was interesting in that moment is once that contract was signed and, and the two were to be married, the bridegroom was to pay it what's called a dowry. It was sort of like a gift to the, either to the bride herself or to her family. And so he would pay her something, whether it would be some, something of value, and it was to signify his intentions, to say, yes, I'm going to be married to this person. And in that time, they would share a cup of wine together in that moment. And then what was interesting about the bridegroom is he would go away for approximately a year or so, maybe longer, but about a year or so, and he would go to prepare a place for his bride that where he may be, she may be also. Isn't that interesting? And so you, you, you have this going on. That's kind of the first stage. The second stage of the marriage is the ceremony itself. And what would happen during this time is the bride would know approximately to some degree when he would be coming. But on the night that he would come, it would come at nighttime, uh, he would send a sort of a proxy before him, a messenger that would say, hey, the, the bridegroom's coming. Be, get ready. The bridegroom's coming. And she would sort of have to be ready at all times, right? And he would show up, procession of his buddies, and they would parade her through the town streets saying, this is my bride. And then they would parade her all the way back to his home, which then they would also share a cup of wine together again and consummate their marriage. The ceremony is done. They are now, they, they are legally married before that, but, but they've just consummated their marriage. They've just ceremonially gone through that process. And now she would be with her husband forever. And it's a picture for us. It's an incredible picture for us about what we're doing here. You know, Jesus says in our scripture this morning, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the, of the wine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, if you're a believer today, Jesus is legally bound to you. That contract has been written. And, as, and we partake in communion today in remembrance of that, to remember what was cost? The dowry that Jesus paid, folks, was his blood for you. His blood. And 
in a result of that, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So here we have the dowry paid. And we partake of the, the cup and the juice, or the juice and the, the bread to remind ourselves, yes, of, of the sacrifice that was paid for sure. But I want to tell you this morning that it also is pointing us forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You and I. What would happen after they would consummate their marriage that night is then that would begin a seven-day celebration where they would come and, and, and everybody in town would be invited and they would celebrate the marriage of the bride and the bridegroom. One day... When Jesus comes to get his church, we will celebrate with him what I believe a period of seven years where we will be eating, partaking of the marriage supper of the lamb, celebrating as his bride. Jesus said, Jesus told us, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And so he's there now preparing a place. He's been gone for 2,000 years. Can you imagine the place that he's preparing for you? It's going to be awesome. But there's coming a day when this meal will, no long, will be obsolete. We won't need this meal because we won't have to remember Jesus. We will be face-to-face -face with him. We will pull up to a physical table in heaven, and we will commune with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all together. That day is coming, folks. Today, we're remembering what Jesus has done, but we're also celebrating the fact that he's coming for us. The dowry's been paid, folks. He paid the price for you. Now, here's the one thing I want to tell you about this meal, is that it's for family only. It's for family only. It's not for somebody who doesn't have that legal contract with Jesus. You need to be a believer to partake of the table here. And some, sometimes we, you know, we don't have opportunity to really explain communion on an every Sunday basis when we do it. We do it once a month. But I wanted to take the time this morning to just encourage you, listen, if you're not a believer, either A, become a believer, which I would encourage you to do, or don't partake of it. Because this is, this has nothing to do with you if you're not a believer. But I want to encourage you, if you, are, if you aren't this morning, that you become a believer. Again, the, the cup, the bread, it represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Points us all the way back to the Exodus, where Jesus became the Passover Lamb for us. His blood put on the, 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 the lentil and the doorpost of your heart protecting you from the angel of death. You know, when the angel of death shows up at your house, guess what? You're going to pass right through the grave. He has no grip on you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the reality, folks. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God came down. He lived a sinless life. He was sacrificed on a cross. He bled and died for the sins of the world, which includes your sins. And then he rose again from the dead. But here's your part. The Bible says that you have to come by faith in believing what Jesus has done for you. 
not just intellectually believing, but believing so much that you would receive it for your own. And when you do that, there's what's called the great exchange, where Jesus takes your filth, your sin, and he takes it from you, and he replaces it with his righteousness. And he makes you perfect, and he makes you fit to have this meal with the Father. And so if you're not a believer this morning, I want to encourage you, you come to Christ this morning. It's a very, it, it's a very serious thing, but it's a very simple thing at the same time. The only thing hindering you from coming to Christ is you. It's not God. God sent his son for you. You simply, I believe it, believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You simply cry out to the Lord this morning before we partake and you just say, Lord Jesus, I want to make you my Lord and Savior. Take my sins, Lord. Forgive me this morning. Cleanse me. I believe in your death and resurrection. And I'm giving my life to you. Be my Lord and Savior. It's not so much about the words, folks. It's not so much even about the prayer. It's about the attitude of the heart. And it's about the sincerity. This morning as we prayed over the sanctuary, we prayed for full surrender for, for all of us, but in particular, those who don't know the Lord this morning. So if that's you, you go before him this morning as the elements are passed out, and you receive him as your Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, as we partake, listen, this is a serious matter, but it's a matter of celebration as well. It's pointing us forward, folks. Listen, we all know and we can see he's coming soon. We know he's coming soon. And so as we're partaking, we're looking forward to spending time in eternity with our Father, with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today as you partake, may it be a celebration. May you remember what he's done for you. And may you do it in a worthy manner. If there's anything you need to get right with, with the Lord this morning, you do that.